Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're staying in the UK to be joined by... Jamie Beaumont, the founder of Plater Pay and Offered. Jamie, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Chuffed to have you. Typical fashion with the podcast, focus on three main areas, early influences, challenges, and pivotal moments. So if we go right back to the beginning with you, I believe you grew up through my research, if it's done correctly, southwest mm. of London, uh, near Leatherhead. I could be wrong with that. I just went where you went to school. Yeah, very good. Very good you did on me. Yeah, so I, I grew up in a place called Cobham in Surrey um, and then kind of worked my way closer and closer to London and kind of settled down in southwest London. Actually just moved out to Windsor. Um, nice. But yeah, most, most of my life has kind of been spent kind of southwest. So talk to me about going up southwest London or as you made your way there. What were some of your or are there any standout memories from your childhood? Favorite memories? Favorite memories from my childhood, many. Uh, I, I went to Israel long, 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 long time ago now and did something called the Erodium, which is basically like a massive fan um, and it, it replicates skydiving. And, um, uh, and I was quite small when I was growing up. I, you know, kids grew a lot quicker than I did. I mean, I'm only 5'10 now, so I'm not exactly massive, but I remember when I was 13, I was hardly five foot uh, and we went on this um, Erodium thing. Uh, and because I was so small and young, I had to go with an instructor. Uh, and it, was an, it wasn't enclosed. It had an open roof, but huge walls, uh, you know, kind of surrounding it. Um, and it was just a, a circle, effectively. Um, and because I was so light, I actually flew just over the roof gathering. So I was in open air um, and could have just floated either side off and, and pretty much probably killed myself. So I'm floating above this whole thing. And then uh, obviously they kind of lost the plot and seen that there's this small child teetering on, you know, bordering on death, death and li- life and death. Um, I, I didn't know this having great, you know, absolutely great time. So they decide to send an instructor up, but obviously the instructor is heavier than me. So they can only get within a certain like you know, space of me to try and wean the fan down and down and down until we get there. I didn't realize that afterwards my mum's in fits. Um, for the entire thing whilst I'm laughing and you know having a great time she's you know in tears thinking her son's about to get blown off um, and that was great fun uh, lo- lots of fantastic childhood memories um, not specifically just down in in, in Surrey or southwest London but yeah that's that's one that stands out to me I love it that's a great start um, sticking with your childhood inspirations anyone that you can recall whether it's a uh, uh, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a parent, uh, another loved one who inspired you or believe had a positive impact on the person you are today. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people that that um get you know parents obviously. Um, my my granddad um is an abs you know absolute hero was was an absolute hero and uh he you know he started a business himself um with with his granddad. Um, we own nothing of it now, unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a FTSE 100 company now. Um, he was an incredibly astute businessman. 
Um, he was incredibly grounded as well. Um, my granny is exactly the same. Uh, and if I can do, you know, one one thousandth of what he did, I'm going to have a pretty good life. Um, so he's, yeah, he's, he's fairly inspirational. Yeah. You know, every, generally speaking, I've been very, very lucky to surround myself, um, family and friends with people who, um, are fantastic, very supportive, doing very, very you know good things. I've got, I've got a, you know, and I, I'm, I don't stay on, you know, I'm kind of off the beaten track. Um, so, you know, I've got a best friend who's out in Nigeria at the moment. Um, and he's doing some amazing things. You've got great people around me who are, you know, incredibly supportive, but I don't, I've, I've got to admit, there's not one particular person that goes, that's, that's who I aspire to be. You've got all these people who have, you know, your masks and all of that. Not really, yeah, I don't, I don't really look at them and think, wow, those are absolute legends. That's who I want to be. But it's kind of a mixture of everyone I've ever had in my life. I think that's, that's probably the main. Awesome main sign. Ones, You've say. been surrounded by a lot of good people then. Shout out to mm. your granddad and your, your friend in Nigeria who you referenced. Before we jump into all good things business, what's one thing you like to do outside of work? Um, I, I love cooking. Um, I'm an absolute, I, I just think it's not just relaxing, but the whole process of cooking, preparing, actually doing it, um, and, then, and then listening to my wife complain about it afterwards uh, is, is just, I, I absolutely love it. There, there are a few things, I mean, I, I love sport, so cricket. Um, I was at the cricket last night at the Oval, massive, massive cricket fan, love cooking. Um, if you took those away from me, life would be far more complicated and stressful, I think, in my mind. Um, uh, and then, and then in, yeah, like getting up in the morning, going for a run. Um, these are just the kinds of things I love doing just outside of work, helps with life in general, but it's good fun as well. Absolutely. So looking through your LinkedIn and, and other podcasts you've recorded, Got a series of questions for you. First one is you were co-founder of a, a clothing business back 2013. <laughs> um, how yeah. did you get involved in that? Like what what was it that had you step foot in the clothing business? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, most people who know me wouldn't think of me as a fashion icon, I can tell you that. Um, so I, I, I did um, I did ski seasons and um, we were out nice. on on ski seasons and we just saw we're actually in, in Valdez Air and noticed that a lot of people would come into into resort in fancy dress mainly retro ski wear like old school ski wear bright you know pinks and greens and blues just very retro stuff um and they'd constantly come in and sometimes they wouldn't bring their retro stuff or they didn't have retro stuff so they'd um they'd want to rent it or they want to buy it and we thought actually this is quite good fun um why don't we just create our own you know retro ski seats so we designed our own retro ski suit. Um, we, we got them made. Um, I had the funding to kind of get the first few made and, and, and the prototypes. And we got them made out in China using Alibaba at the time. Um, and, and it went really well and people liked them. And before we knew it, we were back in England. We were touring around all the universities. We had caps, we had t-shirts, we had jumpers. And we're back out in resorts and selling them. And it was just really good fun, actually. Um, it, you know, it wasn't probably something that was ever going to last, but yeah, it was, it was really good fun. And that's basically how we got into it. According to your LinkedIn, uh, I'm not sure if you've started any other ventures before that, but that was your first stab at running a business. Uh, now you're, we, we referenced, founded a, a platter and uh, offered um, any lessons you took from 
whether the operational and marketing, the sales side of that business that you still carry forward to today? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm personally a big fan of kind of service-based businesses. I think we're a very service-based, you know, kind of market in the UK anyway. One thing I, I learned and, and I respect hugely of anyone that does this um, is when you go into things like clothing or, or any other piece of any other type of business where you actually have to maintain stock, creation, spend all the money and then hope to gain that money back. Um, you just really, you know, you really need to know that what you're doing is right. Um, and that, that applies in every single business. But, you know, the one thing I learned is that, especially within fashion and stuff like that was, you, you know, you don't make clothes that you like. You have to actually look at the market and see what the market is saying and build it based on them. Because if you spend 10 grand on a bunch of clothes, you better make 10 grand back. Um, and if you don't, the business model is flawed. And I think, you know, we weren't the most profitable business in, in the world. Um, but it did teach me that you really need to think carefully about supply and demand, you know, the product that you're building, listening to your market and understanding that it's not necessarily what you think is the right thing. It's what the market will tell you. So I learned a lot in that into taking things on into the next businesses. You spent six years working in recruitment in some capacity before you got involved with your own ventures. Uh, you put up a recent post on talent versus relevant experience. Uh, you think many people are looking at the wrong metric. Can you explain the uh, thoughts behind that post? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, so I speak to a lot of recruiters at the moment, and I speak to a lot of businesses who are hiring as part of, our, you know, that's what our business means. Uh, and at the moment, we're getting a lot of people tell us that there's not enough talent in the market, um, and they're finding it very difficult to hire for the roles that they've got open. Uh, and I see it somewhat differently. I think looking at you know, what they're actually saying is they can't find people with the specific relevant experience that they need to take that specific role. And actually in a market like this, you need to look at the wider, broader aspect of, of the word talent. And that could be someone who's incredibly talented, you know, intelligent, hardworking, diligent, you know, the, a huge amount of tenacity and passion. These, these types of individuals can pick up most of what you're doing, right? If you're, a, you know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, very, very different. You need qualifications, you need that vocational background. But if you're going to things like sales or recruitment or marketing, you know, these guys and girls will pick this up very, very easily. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking at, we need three years experience within this rather than saying we have an exceptional individual here. Why don't we invest in that individual? Uh, and so I think the word, you know, looking for talent you should look for that talent. Don't necessarily just plug onto the experience behind that individual. Look for someone who can actually build on that talent and you'll find a lot more individuals out there. So I just wanted to put it out there. You know, too many conversations of people saying they can't find the talent. The talent is out there. The experience might not be, but you know, let's look at building people up and building their careers, not just ready-made. Make a solid point. Um, how can a company um, uncover if someone has that talent and willing to put in that work. Is it in the application process that some people just put the extra effort in, in standing out and not to overlook those people? Are there signs that you can see that this person might not necessarily have the five or eight years or 12 years of experience that is required? Because I see a lot of that lately, um, but they're just willing to get their hands you know, into the thing and 
they, they're one of the hardest workers in the room. Yeah, so I think if, you, if you're going to hire someone that's right for you without the experience, I think you need to base it on your business and you personally, whether you're you know hiring manager, business leader, whoever it might be, and point in question. So Plato, we're a small business. The people we want, the people we hire, I want them to be able to tell me I'm wrong as the founder. I don't want people who are going to be subservient and get on with what they're doing if there could be a better way of doing it. I want to hire intelligent mm-hmm. people who are ready to tell me I'm wrong. So I put up a post and I spelt chief wrong in the post. Um, hoping that I would get people tell me, by the way, you've made a mistake here. Um, and it's a very subtle thing, but those types of individuals are really important to me. And if I bring them on, I want them to have that because I'm not right all the time. And, um, and we're interviewing some great people and every single one of them messaged me and said, by the way, number one, I'm keen. And number two, um, you spelled chief wrong. I just thought I'd let you know. Awesome. Fantastic. No, that's not that's not relevant to every single business moving forward. And I had a lot of people, by the way, you know, call me up and say, that's going to put lots of people off. All right. Hands up. Fine. Um, That's the whole point of it is to put people off who, you know, won't be right in our situation and attract the people that will, but the process that you have in interviewing or attracting should be geared towards what you need from that person. If it's experience, fine, you know, then gear it on that. But if you're basing it on talent, then you need to base it on raw attributes rather than skills because you can't learn an attribute. If you're looking for someone who's tenacious, send them through a, yeah, an application process that needs them to show that tenacity. Um, but yeah, I think it all needs to be geared around you as a business and then the actual person that you need. Partnerships is something that I'm seeing pop up more and more and more. In the company that I've been involved in, they announced two to three new partnerships a quarter. Um, and I see that you recently announced a partnership with Zero. Uh, what are your thoughts on partnerships going forward? Is it uh, another way to grow the business and develop relationships? Yeah. So I had a good friend of mine, actually. Um, his dad has a saying uh, that partnerships are the worst ships ever sail. Um, and the reason he says that is because it's, it absorbs so much resource from both parties. There's so much expectancy from both parties to provide inside of that partnerships. And I think when we're early on, early on in the business, we didn't really have the capacity to give as much as we would have liked to have done. Uh, and I made some partnerships that weren't very good. And I, would, I lived by that saying. Now we're a slightly more robust in, in what we do. I think partnerships are going to be really important moving forward. I think we're, you know, as a business, we help SMEs and there are millions of them out there, small businesses, and we can't get to all of them. Uh, and so I think working with distribution partners who can help us get in front of thousands, um, if not millions of SMEs will be really important. And then being able to offer them the value that they can then offer their, um, you know, community, whoever it might be through our product is really important. But I think having good partners in business is is really essential and and i think actually more than not i see bad partnerships based on greed this person can get me this rather than this you know this partnership how's it going to work how can we both give value to each other and therefore you know this is reciprocal rather than oh yeah these guys can give me you know two million in revenue a year let's keep them on board and just keep them happy that's not it'll never work in the long run so i I think partnerships will be really really important moving forward zero is an unbelievable one for us. They're a massive business um, and and it will be great for us, but we also add value to them. You know, we have a product that can help the businesses that use Zero, 
so we're hoping we can reciprocate that in some form but yeah i do like partnerships i think we'll we will explore more moving forward uh, and hopefully you know we'll have some more announcements over the next couple of months as well with some you referenced that you work with smes typical audience for this is uh the owners of those companies in across the uk and ireland so for those listening curious to know what you do what is it that you do so we're effectively the world's first zero percent higher now pay later uh finance so if you grow using recruitment agencies we help you we basically fund your your invoices so we help you split the cost of those invoices over six months for zero percent finance um to offer you a, a way of maintaining healthy cash flow and investing in other areas inside of the business um that that me that would have meant that you know you've got a huge burn you're spending 50 grand that month on recruitment fees well you don't have to we can help you spread the cost of that and then obviously grow the business in a more digestible and organic way um so so yeah any smes that, that look to grow using those functions we're um we're good partner i suppose you could say links to your social your website and, and all the good stuff will be linked below if anybody wants to get in contact with jamie um jamie i'm curious to know uh, I always get this messed up. I don't know if GCSEs come first and then A-levels to get to Unity. I'm going to yeah. take it the A-levels that are one that you do to get into university, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you could add one subject that was mandatory or a key skill to have in secondary school that people had to do for the A-levels, what would that be? That's not currently on the curriculum. Uh, finance. Why? I don't think people walk into life understanding finance and it's incredibly damaging. What's tax? How do you get a mortgage? You know, what, you know, what's, you know, what salary should I be looking for? If I pay rent, you know, what should I be doing? What type of um, expenses am I going to have? How do I live? You know, what's the value of the pounds? Do I, do I live in, in the black or the red? I think people walk out of that completely clueless. They end up putting, you know, getting themselves credit cards, you know, understanding credit. You know, you need good debt to have good credit, which is odd, but it's the way of life. Um, I don't think people understand it. I honestly think they have no clue. I, you know, I speak to so many people whose life goals are to have expensive things and, and it's all very materialistic, fine. But do you understand how to get there? Um, and I walked out of school with no understanding of this. Um, getting a mortgage was an eye opener to me. Um, even trying to get a mortgage as a business owner is an eye-opener. Do you want to start a business? Yeah. Okay. Do you want a mortgage? Yeah. Well, don't because you won't get one. And it's, it's simple as that. So I think it's really important. We start actually teaching people much younger, you know, how the finance system works in, in life, because actually it's not, you know, it's not something you can change. Um, you can't have a little, you know, chin wag with the bank and be like, you know, lower your rates just for me. It doesn't work that way. Uh, and unfortunately it's a big kick in the gut when you do start learning it. So I, I, I'd enforce it. Um, I love that. Um, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I had no clue about money, where to put it, what to do with it. I came into money uh, on my second business and for about a year and a half, two years, uh, I was incredibly immature. And only when I got a number of financial consultations and got my head wrapped around it, then I became better to it. But if I had, that was mandatory as part of secondary school. Who knows? Maybe I needed to go through that immature period. Perhaps not. But for any Irish listeners, all of what Jamie says there, I 100% agree with. However, the one thing that's different in Ireland than in England is you do not need a uh, to go to debt to get a good 
credit or what am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, you don't. You, yes, you that America, UK, yes, Ireland, no, and a lot of people think that that's the case in Ireland. So, any Irish listeners, uh, just be aware you do not need that at all. Um, that's but, great. How how does it work? <laughs> uh, in Ireland, well, you don't need to go into debt to get a good credit rating. It's if you don't pay back your debt you get penalized but you don't need to go in to get a good credit rating right it's the way it should be yes it certainly is it certainly is um in a in a previous interview you were asked or when you were asked what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs there was three things that you listed one of them was be ready to sacrifice everything um Entrepreneur see, entrepreneurship seems to be now a cool thing to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I personally know that it's a very lonely road uh, and probably a roller coaster of emotions, most definitely a roller coaster of, of emotions. And uh, one of the things that I started doing to, at the start of this year was actually a bi weekly counseling session, not because I'm depressed or anything, just to help me on my journey of being an entrepreneur. So I'd like you to explain what you meant by that comment in terms of be ready to sacrifice everything because I think there's a lot of noise going around of entrepreneurship is the cool thing to do where in reality, there was a post you put up, you hadn't paid yourself for over two years or taken money out of the, out of the business. Yeah, I didn't have a salary for two years. I mean, I mean listen, you, you're right. The word entrepreneur is a very fashionable word. Now it's a bit of a catwalk. Um, I don't think people truly understand what it means to start a business. Um, you, you think it's freedom, but you're actually, you know, everything, you don't get holiday time off. Um, if you're not in the business, it doesn't run. And if it doesn't run, your business fails. Um, you're constantly on like your brain. I'm sure you're the same, right? Like you're constantly on, you cannot turn off. Um, and unless you're successful, and I say this as, as you know, I've been same as you alone for a long time, three years now. Um, it is a very, very lonely road. You can have co-founders, all these different types of things, but those are for tech businesses. So, it's, you know, you might have business partners. A lot of people do it alone. You, you just don't have any certainty in life. Um, there is, you know, everything is risky. There's no certainty. Every decision you make could be the best or worst decision and could have ultimate impact on your business. Um, it isn't just something where you turn up at nine in the morning, you do some work, you leave at five in the evening and the business is just going to run well. It just doesn't work that way. I've been up at four in the morning, um, you know, with crisis, you know, waking up, oh my God, I need to do this. I've been, you know, it, it's just, it's just something people need to understand that if you need to build a business, the biz, it is your business. And by that, it's your life, work-life balance. Say goodbye to that. Um, yes, you can go off and you can leave early and all that kind of stuff, but you work on weekends. Um, you never switch off. If there's a crisis, it's up to you to handle that crisis and fix it, not somebody else. And only when you can hire people and be lucky enough to do that, can you delegate, but then you've got someone to look after and their livelihood. Um, and it's, you know, it's different color flames, but there's, it's fires nonetheless that you need to put out. Um, so I just think everybody should know that you sacrifice your personal life. And this, by the way, I chose to do this. It's the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I wouldn't change it. But you should know that if you're willing to give up your personal life, if you're willing to take on stress, anxiety, risk, you know, it's very lonely, huge amounts of mental health pressure, um, then, you know, it's absolutely fine. If you're willing to take on the the financial insecurity, 
um, if you understand that it could have, you know, it could go tits up at any point um, and you could be left, you know, looking for a job in, in, in no time. All of that, if you're willing to do it, go ahead. But it is really, really, really tough, but it's incredibly rewarding. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's not something you just go and do and suddenly you're, you know, you're Steve Jobs. It just doesn't work that way. The debate I've had in my head towards the end of last year, entering this year was, is being uh, a founder, does that give you true freedom or the illusion of freedom? And I've settled on, it gives you the illusion mm-hmm. of freedom. It's, it's and, yeah, completely. Yeah. It's a, have, a strange journey. Yeah, you, you don't have, I mean, listen, for, you know, I, I suppose... You, you know, you have a master definition sheet, right? Of what all these things mean, like what does freedom mean to you? And everything is mm. fairly subjective. But um, but I think the problem is, is no one, if you go on TechCrunch, right? You see all these successful businesses and therefore you read success stories. I almost think you should have, you know, the opposite um, to show <laughs> people, you know, this business went out of business today. This business went out of uh, this business failed to gain funding. This business, you know, um, is under litigation. This business, there's, there's, you will only ever read the success stories unless they're, high, you know, green selling, the, you know, the high, high profile ones that, that are bad news. Um, but those are the guys and girls who have, you know, created huge amount of capital events for themselves. So they've, they've, they have wealth behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will show the illusion of, of freedom, of having the money, being able to take a private plane somewhere, having holiday time off, whatever it is, having a big house. But we don't have that. 99.9% of us don't have that. So we have the same stress, we have the same business running, but we don't have the wealth and, and kind of freedom that comes with it. And because of that, unfortunately, as you said, it's the illusion of freedom. Somebody put up a post on LinkedIn yesterday, the day before, and it made me laugh. And the, the title it, it's Unicorn Mating Season. I just had to laugh at that. Um, what's a uh, yeah? What's a commonly held belief about your industry recruitment that you passionately disagree with? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I suppose that they, you know, they're all trying to change the industry. They're all trying to do things differently. Um, I, I think I actually did a post on this at one point is how many times can somebody leave their job, create a recruitment business and tell the recruitment industry they're doing something different, only then to go and do things exactly the same as everybody else. Um, I can't remember what it is, but in the lean startup or something, they try to define what a startup is and it's, it's, it's or, or an entrepreneur, it's doing something where you're not just doing something similar, but you're creating risk and innovation within that process. Um, and there's not a lot of innovation within recruitment. It's starting to happen. I'm seeing some, you know, some some bits of good innovation, um, and and we have a common connection who I think is, you know, fantastic and innovating within the recruitment industry. But they all, a lot of them, you know, well over ninety percent think that they are complete innovators and and you know, moonshots. And they're just, it's, it's just doppelgangers, one after the other, after the other. Um, but, you know, Green Shoots, it is starting, we are starting to see some fantastic, innovating recruiters come through, but the large majority, unfortunately, just aren't. Are there any books, podcasts, mentors that you go to, to continue to uh, upskill uh, or, or improve? 
So I actually, I, I like, you know, I like some of these kind of startup and, and business leader books, but I'm also not a huge fan of being a sponge. Um, I think if you, if you stick too many ingredients in something, um, it's just a bunch of ingredients and it has no kind of taste of its own, let's say. I think a lot of people try look towards too many sources of inspiration, end up absorbing all of it and then contradict themselves and actually never knowing where to go. This person says we should do this, but this person says we should do this. And there are a million and one different ways to run a business. Um, so I like to stick to the methods in which I believe I, you know, the lean startup for me is, is great. I believe in, um, you know, consistent feedback and iterating and learning, whether it's been a bad outcome or a good outcome, did that outcome give you learning and therefore you can progress from that. Um, so, so books like, you know, the, the lean startup and blitz scaling that allows you to think about, should you be blitz scaling? You know, it's not always a good thing to scale your business. Um, yeah, there are some great books out there. Um, I just, I don't take inspiration from many because it'll just give me, you know, if I absorb someone's view and then absorb mm. another person's view and they're contradictory, what do I do as an individual? I can't learn from both. My business won't survive um, constant learnings from that. So yeah, I think, I think um, Eric Reese is, is a, is a great one to, to look at. Two final questions. Uh, I don't know who you live with or live with, but all your loved ones are safe. Your house is burning down. You can only save one item. What one item would that be? Uh, my loved ones are safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my guitar. Nice. Any reason? You just like your guitar? Uh, <laughs> one of them. I, I find, I probably should have said this at the beginning as well, I find playing guitar and singing quite soothing. Um, and I used to do quite a lot of gigs and, um, I've, you know, really enjoyed it. Uh, and sometimes when I get super stressed out, just picking the guitar up, um, and having a jam is, 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 yeah, it, it's, it's, I suppose I could probably just kind of play as the house was burning down, knowing that I've got pretty much, pretty much everything. Um, uh, and yeah, I think that would be it. Probably my guitar. Final question is I'd like you to imagine it's the year 2030. We're talking now in 2030 and you're looking back on the previous decade. You can answer this personally or professionally or both. What would yeah. you like to be looking back on? Oh, personally, that's easy. Um, this has all been, you know, a success. I've got, you know, a couple of kids. I've got a nice big house. More importantly, I've got a nice big wine cellar. Um, uh, and, you know, everyone I you know everyone I know is still alive and we're you know we're having good fun that you know that's an easy one on a personal level I'm not a big fan I don't want you know sports cars or expensive watches or any of that stuff I don't like flying so I don't want a private jet I don't like boats so I don't want to I don't want a yacht um, I'd just be happy with you know nice house somewhere with big garden big wine cellar uh, my family there um, looking back professionally I mean over, over the next you know 2030 last uh, last 10 years I, I'd like to have seen um, some insane amount of innovation within things like you know the actual cl like climate change for instance so electric cars um, that actually come to fruition for instance um, I'd like to see a lot of change within government as, as well and, and politics and um, it'd be nice to have I mean the one main thing I'd love to see is um, you know, secretaries of state who actually are experts within 
their field rather than just bringing in a random uh, posh bloke to, to lead health and transport and, and all of this um, when they've got no experience in it. Uh, and professionally on my side, I'd love to you know, have a fantastically well-run business with lots of happy employees. Everyone's you know, earning good money. Um, I think that's, that's about it. It's not only an English problem, it's a worldwide problem, that is, by the way. Uh, and I was talking to a, a guy who is the owner of a company called Amarenko. Um, they're valued at about £80 million. And he says, if they can crack it, uh, hydrogen cars, he believes, are the way of the future, not electric. So be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with him. Hydrogen is, I mean, I've just got the best friend who's in Nigeria. He's a big fan of hydrogen. Um, hydrogen is is literally I, when you create electricity it actually you know in some instances can create more um pollutants than than anything else um so hydrogen is probably i agree with them if we can create hydrogen-based cars and engines great fantastic let's do it not my field though so i'll let someone else yeah do that. exactly i certainly will jamie it's been a pleasure spending the last 35 minutes chatting to you getting to know you a little more i wish you nothing but the best going forward but for Thank today you. let's leave it there thank you for being my guest Thank you very much. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you. Beautiful morning, get a sign of my morning bed.